Welcome back to the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. Today, we continue our off-season interviews with Allison Jackson. You may know her from our coverage of the Tour de France Femme of Ex-Zwift, where she joined us for a couple of the stages to chat about what was going on during the race. But I thought it would be kind of cool to get to know Allison a little bit better. So I asked her if she would do a full-length interview for us. Allison has written for teams like Sunweb slash DSM, and she's currently writing for Live Extra, but she'll be moving to EF Education First, Tipco Silicon Valley Bank next year. So we talk a bunch about her experience on different teams and what she's looking forward to next year. Before we talk with Allison, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. Zwift brings fun to training. You can prepare for big challenges, explore stunning worlds, all within the inclusive community Zwift has built on their platform. It's the perfect cycling complement for the digital era and with enough fun to keep things fresh while you get fitter. There's a bunch of awesome things that you can do on Zwift that will encourage you to keep coming back. There's incredible workouts and workout programs that you can follow. There's um, the game that I really like that's trying to ride all of the routes on all of the worlds. Zwift has a ton of different things, no matter what you're interested in. So check it out. And thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode. All right. So I'm here with Allison Jackson, fresh off her world championships in Australia and like a week of just hanging out down under and surfing and stuff. That's right. I, I, my goal after was just to surf every day and I just called it surf school. <laughs> it was not literally a school, but that's like surf school. Have you surfed before or was this your first time? So actually the only times I've ever been surfing has been in Australia because of bike racing. So I went there the first year with tour down under and, um, yeah, I guess it was actually with the Cadell Evans road race. They had set up like, uh, yeah, a lesson you could go on surf lesson. And so, yeah. And then basically every year since then I would go one or two days <laughs> around that time. Yeah. Cadell's is sweet. Cause they do like, I remember we got to pick, it was like, do you want to play soccer football or do you want to go sailing or do you want to learn to surf? Yep. So yeah, yeah exactly. In the first year, yeah, the first year they did that. And so then I took the surf lesson and then we actually just had some friends that like local friends that we, they were volunteers with the race organization. And then, um, yeah, we got familiar with. And so then now they would just like take me to the beach for a surf day. And then I remember the second year going, um, yeah, then we went sailing <laughs> But the it was so nice that like people from the yacht club just like would take us out sailing. But the boat that I was on, we were going, we were coming back in and they crashed. They crashed this. Yeah, I know. We passed you. We passed you and we were like, uh, oh no. It was so hope you're okay. It was so bad. Oh, we all just felt like so bad for this guy because basically he's just like entertaining us and telling us a story. And then yeah, the sales crash take down like the main mast and um oh man. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember who we were with, but they were telling us like the price tag on the damage to that boat and i was just like oh my god that poor person yeah well even his wife who was on the boat was just like <laughs> she was telling us yeah it was going to be whatever like twenty five thousand dollars or something like that thirty thousand dollars but she's like it's okay we have insurance <laughs> like, okay. i mean insurance coming in clutch in that scenario <laughs> but yeah we had to get rescued off the boat and oh yeah I remember this. I remember this. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> um, anyway, so people heard your voice over the Tour de France. We had you on multiple episodes of the, the Tour de France daily coverage, but I thought it would be cool if we got you on like a full episode about you instead of talking about uh, races that we were watching. And in case people are listening and they don't know what your background is, I am curious how you got into cycling. Yeah, I actually, yeah, got my first bike when I was 19, 
I grew up in a small town in Alberta, Canada. And yeah, basically it was just a farm kid and a sport kid did all the sport things. Cause in a small town, if you're going to be a sport kid, you have to play all the sports so that we have a team. Um, but yeah, none of them was cycling. That's for sure. And then I moved out to BC for school and just got involved in all sorts of other kind of outdoor activities and stuff. But I had actually started swimming, um, in high school because I wanted to learn how to surf. <laughs> and I was like, I need to basically become a strong swimmer so that at any time, if there's an opportunity, I'm going to be able to like get in the water and session out this <laughs> surf skills. Um, and then, yeah, I had been running for different reasons, picked up a, a bike um, and had just been whatever riding into town. And then someone said, Oh, are you training for a triathlon? And I was like, a what, like, what is that? But then, yeah, I got into triathlon, um, was doing quite well, had qualified for like amateur worlds in basically my first race. And so then I thought, oh, okay, I have some talent. I'm just going to see where this goes. And then, yeah, got a running scholarship for university, had kept swimming with a swim club, running with the run club. And then I joined, yeah, cycling club to ride with. And always all the guys there were just like pushing me to race, pushing me to race. So, and then yeah, at the end of my university, I just wanted to be a pro athlete. And whether that was going to be in triathlon or in just running or in just cycling, it didn't really matter to me. I just love the body and, and activity and training. Um, and anyway, had entered BC Super Week, um, some races, um, and yeah, did well, won some won some races, was on the podium a bunch. Um yeah, won the whole tour to White Rock. And then, um, yeah, basically from then I was like, well, like, I think that I could do quite well here. Got a, got a kind of walk-on contract with um, an American team, 2016. Uh, it was named at the time. And then, yeah, basically just like on the team to learn and be a domestique. Uh, we had a lot of big heavy hitters from America on that team, like um, – Lauren Kamansky, Lauren Hall, Carmen Small, um, but all of them, uh, yeah, uh, Andrea Dvorak, all of them were away on um, with the U.S. national team in Europe. So it had given, basically we had no leader for whatever small race, Chico. Um, so the first day was open for anyone to win. And then I did. And then they gave me, or then they rode for me for the crit to win. And I did. And then yeah, basically then I got more opportunities, um, that the team would ride for me to win. And I did. And then <laughs> basically this is like the, the short story. <laughs> then, um, you know, then that's just like, then I went to Europe full-time basically. And, um, yeah, the more success that I got, the more opportunities I got to yeah, be, be a leader in races and get to bigger, better races. And, so that's where I am seven years, seven years later. I want to dive into two of the things that you just brought up. One of them is uh, loving kind of like movement, because I remember when you first got involved and I didn't know anything about you, but I would see your yoga posts on social media and you're always doing like crazy yoga stuff. So I want to know a little bit about that. Yeah, I think so. I have a bit of like a, a dancer and gymnast background and then. But like those are very youthful kind of sports or activities. So, but then also when I was in my small town, I was a kid that was always doing like handstands in class or in the hallways. But the thing is like everyone just be like, ah, like think nothing, nothing of it. Just like all oh, that to Allison. But then when I took it to like university and I would just like be bored and I would do this in like a student lounge and then everyone was like, oh my gosh, what's she doing? And I was like, oh, there was so much more attention. And I was like, I don't know. But now then when I started calling it yoga, people were like, oh, we understand. She's just doing yoga. And then, and then basically I was just, yeah, started to do all these yoga tricks that I think they're like pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I was totally into yoga for quite some time and then it kind of transitioned more into actually just like, yeah, dance moves, adding some more music in. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I guess your, your TikTok presence or like Instagram presence is something that has gained you a good amount of attention for like having a personality off the bike. And then people can kind of translate that into being a fan of you on the bike because you 
like race with a lot of panache as well. You know, I say that I'm an entertainer and I think like bike racing is entertainment. So I would like to be an entertainer on, on the bike, but also totally entertainer off the bike. I mean, always since I was a kid or what I loved entertaining people or making people laugh and for sure, even now it's absolutely the same. I just love, yeah. Putting a smile on people's faces or whatever. Yeah. The entertainer. As like a total, um, I don't, I just, I like watch TikToks and, and Instagram videos and stuff, but I've never made one. I think a friend and I tried to make one once and it was like two hours of us trying to learn the dance. And we were just like, this is, (laughs) this is terrible. (laughs) And we quit. But how long does it take you to like put together a video? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So my teammates probably think it's like, oh yeah, it's always, it'll always over only takes like one, one try, two tries. Like we do it in 10 minutes, but that's cause like when, if I try to get other people in the TikTok, like if we can film something in less than 10 minutes, most people have like the capacity to engage with something that's like that amount of time frame. But if it, like, if it takes longer than people like, no, thanks. So I just like <laughs> keep them encouraged by it's like only 10 minutes or it takes like one, you know, the, the first take and where it's good. Um, but yes, but I love just like the process of like, whether it's like learning a dance or, or putting together, like some of the storytelling ones that I've done, they take more like thought process on how you like manage the shots and the angles to create the story. And then how do you do that in the most efficient way? But there's a lot of like pre-planning that goes into it. And then, um, yeah, so sometimes it can, it can take hours for sure, or like pre-planning and then filming or like if I'm doing a dance one then yeah I want it to be like hit really well like just be really good so yeah I'll practice it forever but I love doing it like the whole process of just like (laughs) practicing the 15 seconds of (laughs) listening to 15 seconds of the same song over and over I'm sure it's like not so great for my roommates. (laughs) But the Perry Roubaix one was so good. The one you made for Perry Roubaix last year. Yeah. Or 2020. Yeah. Last year? 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was, that was such a good one. (laughs) And that was, see, that one took like, well, the filming part of it probably didn't take that long. Maybe it was like a couple hours, maybe. But then like the, editing it part putting it together and like making a storyline out of it um with music or whatever else that took like a lot of time because when you film something I mean in the end something that's short is what's gonna people are gonna watch no one's gonna no one wants to watch even like a minute a video or maybe like five minutes a lot of times people are like like it's got to be really good if someone's gonna really watch a film like that so so but then um when you have to just like every time I'd watch it, I keep cutting it down, cutting it down, cutting it down. Cause a lot of times, like if I'm watching it, since I have the process of it, I could be more entertained by it. And I think a lot of times people are like, Oh no, we like, even if you're making a vacation video and you're like, Oh, but all these parts are the best parts. Cause you have the memories, but to someone else, it's like, it, you know, they don't care. <laughs> so I feel like after I watch it, like for the 20th time, if I'm getting bored with something, then that's like how the viewer a new viewer where they would be getting bored. So then I just like keep cutting it out, cutting out until it's like, yeah, whatever it is at the end. But anyway, I, the whole process of it, I love doing. And even when I started, I just like love doing them and it would make, give me so much joy or make me laugh. And I just wanted to share that with other people. And I think that's what like, I love with the social media and interacting with fans and interacting with people who, yeah, basically get a, a laugh or get something out of these videos. Um, that also is like just an added fun part for me. How do your teammates feel about getting roped into the videos? <laughs> There's a varied response. <laughs> but you know, you know, what's interesting. I feel like most people like they love, like my current teammates, they love all the videos that I post and put out and they laugh a ton, you know, and enjoy them. But then it's different of like for them to be in one, but I think it's like everyone also has like their own personality. And I feel like if I can touch on what their personality is and bring that in, then it's a little bit more comfortable for them. But yeah, there's for sure a few teammates of mine that, that get creative and love being in these videos. Like 
Valerie DeMay, her and her partner, actually, they make a ton of silly, like, Flemish videos. Um, and so she's, she's a great person to brainstorm with and be, <laughs> and come on. Um, and then also anytime the, anyone's younger than, um, like, early 20s, they also <laughs> love to get in the videos. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you yeah. ever try to pull a lot of Capecchi into one last year when you guys were teammates? Because she seems like she'd be too serious to <laughs> do TikTok videos. She's she's she actually has a great sense of humor, a lot of Capecchi. She is super funny. She also loves all the videos, but yeah, to like pull her into one. It's 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 not that she's too serious. It's that she's probably just like too shy or introverted or quiet. But <laughs> oh, she's good fun. <laughs> All right, I want to circle back a little bit to you said you so you started racing in the U.S. and then you came over to Europe. But this is like a theme that we talk about a lot on the Freewheeling Podcast: how hard it is for non-European riders, Americans, Canadians, um, Aussies, Kiwis to get over to Europe and, and race. And the way that you went about it is pretty interesting. So I want to hear about when you made that jump and how hard that was for you. Yeah. Um, so in my first year, um, cycling Canada had done like a, you know, two week project where we'd go race like some Belgian kermesses and, and Dutch crits. Um, and when I went over to do that, like I, I won a bunch of them. Um, so it's already like a lot of positive feedback that I was getting. Um, and a lot of times I tell, you know, yeah, young athletes will ask me like, Oh, how do you, you know, how do you make it? And, uh, there's a lot of different pathways for sure to get there. And I say the easiest way is to win, <laughs> but that's really hard to do. So, <laughs> but that was basically like, I mean, that was my story and there's probably a lot of things that were against me at the time. Like I started racing when I was 25. So for a lot of, a lot, like even for cycling Canada and other, you know, professional teams, they would kind of look at me being like, Oh, you're not in the development scope that we're looking for. You know, if you were new and hadn't done cycling and you were under 23, then, you know, we could see that we could develop you into something. So being an older athlete, a lot of times what, yeah, it would be a disadvantage. Um, so basically I knew that if I was going to make this happen, I had to make it happen hard and quick. Um, and yeah, everyone loves a winner, <laughs> but I think, um, you know, now the sport is getting more professional where we really see, um, the value of teammates and the roles that make up a win. And with the development of the world tour now, um, yeah, directors and people are not just looking for people who are, you know, in the top end of the results, but they're actually able to watch the races and see the the teamwork and the dynamic of how athletes are, um, yeah, doing their job in the earlier parts of the race. So I think that just adds, um, yeah, depth to, depth to the sport and also like more opportunities for athletes to, um, yeah, target different roles on the team. But yeah, basically but you came into Europe and yeah, you, you signed for like a pretty small Italian team, right? Yeah. So after, um, yeah, I was two raced two years with the American team. Um, and in 2016 we had come over and did, um, some of the classics and stuff. Then at that time, yeah, basically this Italian team, um, the pink what had come to North America to race Winston Salem and, and I don't know if Philly was still around at that time. And um, yeah, basically I had got a, uh, I was looking for a mixed team to do some races in the summer. And so then they brought me onto the team, like as a guest rider. Um, and then one of the first races that I went with them, I won one of the stages. So then, yeah, the, the contract offer came in. Um, but yeah, that's really starting at the, the bottom. <laughs> this is a very old school program there's so much chaos and I have so many dinner time stories from this one year experience being on this team so but uh also it's it wasn't like a healthy program but I'm uh, like I am uh 
yeah, confident in who I am and what my skills are and what I wanted and a super resilient athlete. So that year of, I mean, I went from having 30 US race days to having 65 or the number one race days of anyone in the league, basically of that year. And also going from like US race days where maybe it's like a hundred K um, stages to going to these like 130, 140 K like full on European, you know, racing. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, super resilient and able to like, even when things were not going well, I knew, um, you know, if I checked in with myself, I was just like, Oh, but I love the racing. So some of the, the, yeah, getting to races wasn't the best prep. We would like, we would drive 14 hours the day before Gent Welligam. So like 14 hours in the car, and then you're expected to perform, you know, at the top level on the next day. That's not the best prep, but um, yeah, that's what we had. And one of my, one of my models of life is like, do well with what you have right now. So it's like, Hey, well, we don't have the best like prep in a sense of we're driving all this way, but what could you do? Well, in that time you can fully rest, like calm yourself, you know, like put your feet up, have some naps. Like, you know, these are the things that you can control. And then, yeah, just go into the race. And even, you know, if you're not feeling great, I just, I love the chaos. I love the bike racing. And so I was like, yeah, that's basically what kept me going that year. Can you tell any stories on a podcast or are those for non-recorded? times (laughs) that'll be for the book the book later (laughs) (laughs) so it must have been a pretty big relief when you signed for tibco afterwards and were able to kind of come back to an american-speaking team or american-speaking english-speaking team american-based team Um, but still got to race a bunch in Europe. Yeah. And actually after that year, I had signed with the Belgian team lens world. It was called at the time and they, their, um, yeah, sponsorship fell out in November. So like that was really late to try to find a new team. And what was really cool, um, like I always had a good relationship with, um, yeah, the, the folks at, at Tibco with Linda and then also with the DS at the time, Ed. And so, um, yeah, when I, you know, talked to them and said, Hey, you know, like my contract fell through, they were, you know, they, they could have pitched me like, like, you know, $0 or like, you know, low balled me totally. Cause you know, I'm at the end, you know, who else is going to sign me at that time? But they were so good. They were like, what were you going to, like, what was your contract? And we'll, you know, we'll pay you what that was took me on. And then, yeah, their program, um, was fully European. Um, so I got to do all the races and yeah, then also being on American program, totally like there's just some things that are familiar about that, that just make life smoother, easier. Um, yeah, the comforts of home, you know, and people also that understand what it's like to live overseas and not be with your family and, um, not be in familiar places and, and the challenges, of being a non-European racing in, in a mainly European sport. So yeah. Um, and also having a, like a tough time being on the year before being the only English English speaker on a fully like Italian slash Russian team. Um, it was so good just to be with people. Like I'm such a social person. So <laughs> to be able to share jokes and things with people was just super life giving. I remember when you were on B Pink and um I think it was like maybe Van Het Hageland or one of those early races and we rolled up like UHC rolled up and I've never seen you so excited to <laughs> see us before. <laughs> For real. You know what it's funny, I probably had like two personalities. And one was like when I was with the Italians and I would just like I, I think I read, I read more books that year than I've ever read. Cause like we'd be driving to all these races and, and yeah, I can't really speak to anyone. So I'm just reading all these books and like, you know, everyone's probably thinking she, Oh, she's like the quiet girl that's in the back of the bus reading books. And uh, then I get to these races with English 
speakers. And then I grab you all as my best friends. And I'm just like over the top, just got to share all my stories and have conversations that I haven't had in forever. (laughs) And all those Italian teammates are now watching your TikToks like, wait, is this the same person? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. This this girl really bloomed as something that we didn't know. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Shimano and their new GRX RX870 carbon gravel wheels. Tested by Shimano's top gravel athletes and proven on the roads of Unbound, these new GRX carbon wheels are lightweight, responsive, and ready for any mixed terrain. The 25 millimeter internal rim width is designed for tires ranging from 32 to 50 millimeters and Shimano's cup and cone hub provides proven reliability no matter how far down the road less traveled your adventures take you. Thank you so much to Shimano for sponsoring this episode. You went from being on B-Pink to, which is actually like, it's a small Italian team, but it's pretty well known in the kind of pre-world tour cycling scene. Um, A lot of top riders kind of went through there um, to being on Tibco. And then you eventually jumped over to Sunweb, DSM, and then Live. So what was that kind of process like when it came to team hopping and what have you, what did you learn from each of the different environments? Yeah, I think, um, when I, yeah, signed with Sunweb, I was really looking forward to just a team with all the resources. So a lot of the time with the other teams, um, it's a lot as an athlete, you can bring a lot to a program and to how you, um, how you prepare and what you bring. You can, um, there's a lot of avenues and places that you can look for, you know, tips or learning about tactics or having conversations um, or talking to coaches and whatever that get you prepared for racing. And Sunweb, they do everything in-house. And so, um, yeah, basically, I just wanted to soak up everything um, on the learning side uh, while I was at Sunweb. Also, I race on instinct and passion and and with a lot of heart and Sunweb, they do all the science stuff that I'm not good at. So I hoped while I was on that program that it could be a good, you know, marriage basically of that I'm good at something that they're not really known for or have, and they're good at something that I'm not good at. Um, and that they, that could be really complimentary. Um, so yeah, on that, that year, I just wanted to dig in and learn as much as I can go all in for how they do things. And, uh, yeah, so I for sure learned, um, yeah, a ton of things. And also with every program, you kind of, you take things that really connect with you or you find the work and then you just like add them to, you know, how you, how you do things. So I think, especially with Sunweb, there's just a lot of like, um, kind of like the protocol stuff that they do, it's all very thought out. Um, so just taking a lot of those principles, um, and then just making, yeah, it, my own habits. Um, yeah. And then going, going to live, um, you know, I think that with a happy heart, um, I think you'll get more out of yourself, um, in performance. And that was, that move for me was um, really like that. And I think you saw in my, my first year going to live just like that was, yeah, my best year results wise, um, with yeah, being double national champion, um, going to the Olympics, um, yeah, world tour stage wins. Um, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, be ending it with being sixth at the world championships. Um, and just had such a fun year with all the girls that were on the team and the staffing. Um, yeah. And then, and then now, um, yeah, for, uh, for the next two seasons, I've signed back with EF Tibco SVB, which also for me is like, a, um, when I was on that program, they were, 
uh, yeah, just lacking some resources and some of the, the science and the kind of future planning and thinking. Um, and now they've got so much more staffing, um, a lot of great resources, great um, team sponsors and partners uh, that they work with. Um, so they really filled in the, the kind of gaps that I was looking for before when I was on that program, but also um, I'm, it also is a heart decision. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of comfortability of being on an American program and in a, in a group of, of yeah, fun, fun people. And also I'm just, yeah, really looking forward to working with the, the sponsors and partners on sort of some out off the bike kind of videos and media and, and creativity stuff and working with the community a little bit more connecting with fans. I mean, when I found out that you weren't going to stay with Live for 2023, it seemed like a no brainer that EF Education Tipco SVB would be the team that you would be going to. Because, yeah, on the bike, your racing, I feel like, is going to complement what the team already has um, and enhance what the team already has, which is, I mean, they've got some incredible riders, but a lot of their riders are that are performing well at the world tour level are climbers. So I feel like it will be really good for them to have someone who's a little bit better at the faster races, the classics and kind of stuff like that. But then also like your personality match meshes so well with what EF education, the men's team is bringing to the women's team with that partnership. Cause I talked to Linda last year at the end of the year and the teams aren't connected, but there is, they do share the same, uh, social media team. I'm pretty sure. So the and the men's team has obviously done a lot of um social media is such a huge part of gaining fans and um being being the entertainer as you said before and so i feel like yeah going to ef is just like it's such a brilliant move for you yeah yeah no for sure i'm i saw a gap in their in who they had on the roster um that I felt like I could really fit in and that the, yeah, the team, you know, was hiring me for was kind of in the classics. Um, uh, yeah. One day faster races. Um, but also what's really exciting for me is seeing that they already have so, so much success and they have riders that can win races like the tour or the Giro or these really like climber kind of races. And that's really exciting for me to get to, you know, share a role at one point, you know, finding a place where I get to be leader and I get to really, you know, go for that win, but then also to give that back to the team and just be a part of a program where really, I just want the team to win. You know, it's like, it's super fun and such an honor when you get to be that person, maybe that crosses the line first, but it's cycling is such a team thing. And I get so jazzed about, um, yeah, seeing other riders who have a skill set totally different than mine. And we need that in bike racing. Not all races are going to suit the same person. Um, so it's just really exciting to be able to turn it around and see what you can pull out of yourself for someone else in the bike race. Are you going to get to step into kind of like a captain on the road type of role as well? Cause you've been in the sport for a while at this point, you've ridden for a couple of the top teams and when it comes to that roster, it seems like you will be one of the most experienced riders. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, the last year, this last year on live, um, whenever we had a captainship role, a lot of times it was, um, from the other girls on the team kind of nominating who would be the captain and yeah, they, you know, nominated me a number of times. Um, and you know, that's, that's something that, I feel like to be a captain, your teammates really have to believe that you would be the right person to kind of make the calls in that way and trust you in that. So, um, yeah, when you go to a new program, I feel like you got to yeah, earn the, earn the trust first. And, um, and then, but yeah, I think I have a lot to, to add or to give in a captainship role or just with my experience and, um, yeah, you can't be captain and leader. And so I think, um, yeah, for a lot of these races where I wouldn't be the leader, I think I can add a lot for just helping get the most out of the rest of the girls. I want to circle back to the Olympics. Cause that was a pretty big deal for you in 2021. Sure was. 
<laughs> yeah, I thought, uh, I mean, that, that's been one of my, you know, main goals. Um, and uh, at the end of 2019, when we're kind of looking at our nation's rankings, we were kind of on the cusp of whether, you know, are we going to have three spots to go? Are we going to have two? What was that going to look like? And in the end, we got three spots, but um, one was then taken away and given to um, kind of like another country that had qualified in a different way. Um, just how, yeah, the qualification went um, for that year. So, so I had went through such a roller coaster of like, for sure I'm going. And then, oh, I doesn't, and then I'm not, and for sure I'm going. And then, oh, you know, in the end, no, I'm not. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, that dragged out, right? <laughs> 2020 didn't happen. And then we we're coming into 2021. And then, yeah, 10 days before the event, um, I get this call that we had got our spot back. Um, so, I mean, that happens, I guess, to, you know, if, I think Poland also got a spot back and whether it was like COVID related, someone pulling out or nations pulling out for whatever reason. Um, and then, yeah, but Canada got their spot back. So I got this call up um, to go in. Um, yeah. You, that's a call. You don't say no to, you just get on a plane as, as soon as you can. And then, yeah, I mean, and then, I mean, it was such a bonus. It's such a bonus for me um, and almost feeling like I had no pressure because basically there's no expectations that <laughs> the, you know, our nation thought we were only just going to have two spots. So for the rest of the girls, it was a bonus. They would get another teammate for Canada as a bonus. We get another player in the race. And, and then for me, yeah, it was a dream come true. How was the actual race and how was being on the ground there? Yeah. So it's a little, you know, I didn't fully feel like the full Olympic experience because we, we never went to the village. It was, you know, we had to stay pretty isolated because of the COVID times, but um, it was probably good for me because I am super social and I would have just wanted to do all the things, but it also gave me time to just like focus on the race because I hadn't done, you know, the kind of prep that you, that you would, um, you know, study in the course or whatever when I, didn't think that I was going. So I just had some extra time to, yeah, kind of, you know, focus on, on the race. Um, yeah. I mean, it was super beautiful being in Japan. And also I think it was very cool for us road cyclists. We actually got to see more of Japan than probably any other sport. Cause we actually got a ride on the roads um, and, you know, ride past Mount Fuji and, the lakes there and on the road it's yeah super beautiful and then there's always tons of people that had ridden out and were on the sides of the road like cheering us on um so we also had a ton of fans um which is super cool and then yeah um the olympics always is a a unique animal <laughs> we had very we up until well you know we would just have 60 riders basically competing in the event which is not kind of the picture of what we do on a professional level um but yeah it's it's the best of the best it's super dynamic interesting racing um i think then also you know how the the race turned out um just makes people believe in that anyone can win you know it could be me <laughs> and so i just think it's actually like super good for for the sport um and I, that's one thing i love about cycling it's not you know, the strongest that wins sometimes it's the, the ones who are the boldest and the smartest. And, uh, yeah, Anna Kiesenhofer was absolutely the boldest that day. So I guess going off. into the next, next Olympics in Paris, it's only two years away at this point. Um, and you'll probably be going in with a much different lead up because at this point, like while we're sitting here talking, you're Canada's number one rider. I mean, Leah Kirchman just announced her retirement, so she's she won't be in the sport next year or the year after. And Caroline Canuel obviously retired after last year. And so you're really, you're it. No pressure. We, yeah, no pressure. I love when people say that when actually there is, you know, to be the top athlete, there's always going to be pressure. It's just how you, how you manage it. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fine yeah no I um yeah I'm excited about it but you know even at this last world championships we had a lot of um younger girls 
coming in for the first world. Um, but there's a lot of potential. I'm just excited to work with this group of girls. So yeah. And I think, yeah, I think I learned a lot from the, the 2020 Olympics. Um, partly like I came in with such like kind of a fresh vision or, um, and fresh perspective on the event where most people, I mean, they, they prepare, you know, those four years or whatever, just like this one goal and everyone is preparing so that they can win, but there's only going to be one winner. And I feel like there's so many more broken hearts than there were triumphs in that race. Um, and then afterwards, it's like, everyone just has this like valley. Um, and, you know, it's hard to kind of get back into, into racing again. And just like with all the emotions and all of, when you're pressing for something for one goal. And if that, if the Olympics was your only motivation for how many years, and then now it's done, it's really hard to kind of restart and reset. Um, so I think that hopefully what I take into the lead in for Paris is keep goal setting basically keep goal setting after the Olympics. Don't use the Olympics as the only motivation because there's in our sport, there's so many things that happen, sickness, injury, whatever, um, bad form, um, poor sleep. That doesn't happen. 14 hour drive. (laughs) (laughs) 14 hour drive. So, um, yeah, I think just to like keep a balanced, a balanced outlook, um, and then come into it still with kind of this like fresh eyes of the excitement of what an honor it is to compete and be there. And then, and then, um, yeah, allow, you can only do, um, whatever you can with what you have. And so, um, I think that's also the perspective I took into Tokyo was like, oh, you know, I probably would have prepared a little bit different or, you know, maybe done more heat training or like prepared specifically for the climbing, um, but I was like, well, this is, I can't change anything now. This is all I have. This is what I have. I'm going to do the very best with what I have right now with what, what fitness I have right now. And so basically I want to take that perspective into Paris as well. Like whatever you have on the day, that's what you have. And you're going to do the, the best with what that is. You can't change it. Um, just like enjoy it and ride like with full, full heart, you know, dig deep. Um, Yeah, but I am looking forward to, um, you know, the multi-games environment, um, just like meeting all these passionate people who are so motivated and determined in their sport and how they got there. Everyone's got a story and a journey. Um, And then also, I mean, the power of the Olympics to unite a nation or to inspire people. I saw that with people in my community friends and family who are watching bike races or, you know, watching the Olympic bike race who have never watched a bike race. Um, they knew, right. That I was a pro rider, but, um, yeah, the, everyone understands the Olympics and then, um, and also any person, you know, it'd it'd be like, you know, elementary school teachers of mine being like, Oh, we knew that you were, you know, geared for greatness or whatever. And of course now anyone can say that, we retrospectively but I just love that um you know people people also feel like they were part of the journey and I say absolutely you claim that that um you know the part you played in my in my life got me to where I am you know and I just think it that's something that's really cool about sport and how it unites us and also like yeah I want people to share in my success to feel that too um, and feel and own a little bit of that for themselves. That's super cool. And I mean, I guess like, um, the Olympics are such a big part of women's cycling, um, other sports as well. But like, for example, if you were to compare women's cycling to men's cycling, it's not as big a deal in men's cycling as it is in women's just because, it used to be that it was one of the only races on TV and now the sport is developing in such a way that you can target other races and there will still be thousands and thousands of people who will see a victory if it, if the race plays out that way. And I mean, with the way that we are going in the future, it's, it seems like it's only up for the time being. 
Yeah, for sure. I think also like as a Canadian too, um, the Olympics really holds a lot of meaning because our Canadian culture is not steeped in cycling culture. So it doesn't, when people right ask, or if I say, you know, a professional cyclist and they ask, Oh, like the Olympics or like, Oh, do you go to the Olympics? And th- cause that translates to them that has value. Um, so that's really meaningful then to me and to my communities here in Canada. Um, I think, you know, as our sport grows and yeah, the more that it's televised, I think for as a sport person career, if you do well in the classics or you do well in the, in the tour, you do well in the Giro, that can mean a lot for, for your, for your personal career and, um, yeah, you know, making teams and having other sponsorship things or, or, you know, opens up opportunities off the bike or after you finish your career that, um, yeah, before, uh, before when things weren't races weren't televised and it was harder to kind of, um, utilize these big results at these races, but yeah, now with the growth in the sport, um, yeah, for sure. The Olympics, it's still, you know, creates its own legends. So, um, yeah, I think it'll always be super special, but yeah, there's a lot of other races you can target throughout the, the year that, that carry just as much weight. So what are your favorite races? What races are you really looking forward to in 2023? I mean, there's nothing better than the Flanders tour Flanders. Absolutely. That, that, if that is the dream race to win. Absolutely. Um, I've really been enjoying these couple of editions of Perry Roubaix. And I also see that it's, it's um, yeah, I'm well, well geared for, for that race. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to just uh, as those editions roll out. Um, and uh, that would also be just an epic race, uh, dream race to, to win. So I'm, I get excited for that. I mean, a lot of the classics just in general, just the history behind them and how they're raced. I love the, the chaos and that they're hard and um, yeah, there's wind plays a role and all the weather and things. So um, yeah, I love races like, yeah, Gamwellgem um, or Drentha, which is just usually like the longest race um, and yeah, hard weather, wind, all that stuff. I just love um yeah I really I I um didn't get to race in the the first edition of the Tour de France of X Swift but um yeah looking forward to to get in on that roster for 2023 um yeah and then also looking forward to to world championships in Glasgow I uh, love the area love Scotland um, and I think, uh, the, the course is, uh, a good dynamic course as well. And then Montreal was announced for the future. So world championships coming to Canada. Dude, that's so exciting. I know it's, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not in my area of Canada, but anything that's coming across the pond over this way, just like, yeah, home, home race. Oh, <laughs> the maple syrup that's going to be available at this event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah tom's good just stuff. went and did the one days in canada and he just brought me back like the the pile of canadian goodies he brought me back and like i don't know how we went through the maple syrup that he brought back so quickly but it's already down to one out of three cans and i'm just like no <laughs> <laughs> liquid gold oh <laughs> uh, yeah there needs to be more racing in canada i mean it's it is such a bummer that like the racing over in the u.s because it is so different than racing in Europe, but like those races that we used to do, like Redlands and Tour California and stuff like that, it was it was so much fun. And it it's just such a shame to me that there's it's just like been cut and cut and cut, and now there's basically nothing. Yeah, and basically, so you know, we need the world tour. We need this like very top level bit of racing, but we also need these development races to to get there you can't just pop someone into the world tour and yeah basically all my first year all these um north american races that's yeah where you learn stuff and 
um, you can have a taste, a little bit of success or getting close to success. And, and that, and then you build on that. Whereas if you start out racing in the world tour, you're just getting smashed, you're getting DNFs. It's, it's hard. It's discouraging. Um, but yeah, yeah. I really hope to see American cycling. Um, yeah. Growing again. I also hope that, yeah, like, um, Montreal, um, puts a women's race in with the next to the Montreal GP and stuff. Um, cause those are, those races are super cool, um, for the men's world tour. And I just think, yeah, absolutely. They need to have women's race alongside that. And then, and I think also if they're going to host the world championships, I just feel like that would be a great kind of like, uh, draw for, for teams and athletes to come beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. Having like, yeah, women's Montreal and Quebec and even the Maryland cycling classic said that they, mm. they're interested in starting a women's race. And that was pretty cool for the men to be able to go over and like Mont- uh, Maryland wasn't a world tour race, but because the world tour races were the next weekend, it was like so easy for teams to be able to do that. And I mean, I think it was the first time that world tour racers, riders have been on American soil not racing gravel (laughs) since like 2019. (laughs) That's right. I mean, part of, part of that is the pandemic, but also you can kind of tell that the, the North American racing scene has really plummeted since the death of the tour of California. Yeah. So how are you spending your off season? Final question. How are you spending your off season? Yeah. Um, still doing some coffee riding. Uh, cause actually I just, yeah. I feel really fresh at the end of the the season. Um, and yeah, love the bike, uh, love the coffee mostly. So got to get there. Um, but yeah, basically, so I spent, um, yeah, a week in Australia, really just like vacationing full surf, surf kind of days. Um, yeah. And then I usually, I do pick up some like, um, you know, have or, uh, hobbies that I don't usually do throughout the season. So I'll do a little bit of, rock climbing or, um, yeah, swimming, hiking, kind of some of the other outdoor stuff. Um, but a lot of times when I just have free time, I get super creative. So then I start filming a lot of like silly videos, which also is hilarious and I love it. So (laughs) it's a lot of content creation happening (laughs) at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically it. Great. Well, I will link your social media in the bio in case anybody doesn't follow you. I feel like most people who are listening to this podcast probably already enjoy your videos, but thank you so much for your time. It's been really great chatting with you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Abby.